As we transition into the radio phase of our service, we would like to welcome our listening audience, KKVV listening audience. Our speaker today is our very own senior pastor, Dr. Calvin Rock, here from the Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church, located at 1720 North J Street. He continues the series, Great Doctrines of the Bible, the subject, Three Angels. If you would like a copy of this program or any previous, you may contact us at 702-647-2627, or you may log on at www.abundantlifelv.org. Before he comes, at this time, we'll have our scripture reading by Tiana Lewis, followed by a sacred selection by the Children's Choir, after which we'll have our speaker, Dr. Calvin Rock. Happy Sabbath, everyone. Today's scripture will be coming from Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13. That's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil, and having done all, to stand. May the Lord add a rich blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word.
Thank you to our young ones. We honor your name. And that's why we're here. And that's why we study and research in the word. And that's why we're happy we have those of you listening on the radio. And we invite you now to bow your head as we do ours, if you're able to do that where you are. And if you can't bow your head, if you're in your car or otherwise occupied, just say a word of prayer in your heart as we pray here. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee for Jesus. We've come now to honor his name and may his name be honored in our words, in our thoughts, and in our decisions. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been studying for the last few months great doctrines in the Bible. And we've been assisted in that endeavor with sermons from Pastor Haynes, Pastor Lewars, Pastor Jacobs. But the one that I have in particular been attending to is the topic of the sanctuary. The topic of the sanctuary. And today's theme ties into that general study in a very unique way, in a very unique way. And the topic that we are delving into is that which comes to light. And I think we have a little echo, brethren. We'll get the mic down just a little bit to reduce the echo. That which comes from Revelation chapter 14, Verses 6 through 12. How many here in the sanctuary brought your Bible today? May I see your hand? Do you have your Bible? All right. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. And I'm going to read what is known as the doctrine of the three angels. The three angels. Revelation 14 beginning at verse 6. We'll read it and then we'll attack it. We'll address it for understanding. Revelation 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. You following me there? Verse 8. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is what? Is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Verse 9, then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or in his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Now verse 12, let's all read that one together. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, is the whole package regarding the three angels. And these seven verses present three parts 
of one doctrine. Each one is represented by a different angel. Angel 1, verse 6 and 7. Angel 2, verse 8. Angel 3, verses 9 through 11. And then verse 12 is the conclusion for the whole thing, the whole package. The study that I want to engage with you today is angel number one. We'll deal with two and three in subsequent Sabbaths. But let's look with some detail. Let's scrutinize angel number one who is presented in verses six and seven. And we'll begin to unpackage the revelation with comment on verse six. John says, then I saw another angel. The first thing I want you to notice that John says, I see another angel, meaning that he's already seen some angels, right? I see another. He, he's already had some encounters with angels. And in fact, he saw the angels to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. Remember? And then he saw the angels on the corners of the earth in Revelation 7 1. He said he saw an angel on each of the corners of the earth, meaning east, west, north, and south, holding back the winds while God is preparing his people. And then in Revelation 8, chapters 8 through 11, he saw the angels with the seven trumpets. And again, in Revelation chapter 7, he sees them with the seven seals. But here he says in 14, I saw another angel. Not a competing angel. Not an angel who is going against or contradicting the others. But he sees another angel. God is sending yet another angel. It's more of the same. This angel is on the same team as all these others John has been seeing. This angel is coming with additional information and the same emphasis. This angel that he now sees is an angel that represents a special phase of a special message from God. And that, brothers and sisters, is exactly what angels represent in the Bible. The Bible prophecies have codes, you know. There's certain symbols. And when you see a beast in the Bible, prophecy, the beasts represent what, everybody? Powers or kingdoms, nations. And when you see water in Bible prophecy, water represents what? people. And when you see a day in prophecy, it represents a year. year. We studied that last Sabbath with the 2300 days or years. And here's an easy one. When you see a woman in prophecy, the woman represents the church. See, everybody knew that one. Woman represents the church. And when you see angels in Bible prophecy, angels represent messages. And when John sees this first angel here, who he begins to describe in verse 6, he sees a message, a warning, the first part of a three-part warning that God is giving to the world. 
And what is that warning all about? Well, you've got to look at verse 14 as we continue our study. Let's look down at verse 14. Right after these three angels get through flying, look at what verse 14 says. Then I looked and behold a white cloud. And on the cloud one sat like the Son of Man. Who is that, everybody? Who is that? That's Jesus, John sees. And what is Jesus doing? Having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Thrust in your sickle and do what? Reap. For the time has come for you to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped. Verses 14 through 16. And those verses describe the second coming of Jesus. Jesus is the man on the cloud. Jesus is the grim reaper. Jesus has the sickle. And the earth is to be harvested so that the righteous will be saved and the wicked will be slain. Jesus promised that he would come and harvest the earth. He said that the tares would burn and the wheat would be gathered into his barns. And that's what John's angels are warning about. He sees Jesus coming in verses 14 to 16, but just before he sees Jesus coming, he sees the angels flying, warning the world. Getting the world ready. These three angels are the final warning of God to the world. God's final chance to humanity to get right and get ready before he comes again. Now it's not strange that God would do that. Because you see, God has always sent a warning before he sent great destruction. When he got ready to send the flood, he sent a warning, didn't he? He told Noah to warn the people. And when he got ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, did he send a warning? Oh, yes, he warned Abraham and Lot. And when he got ready to destroy or to annul his contract with the Jewish nation as his special people, did he send a warning? Yes, he warned them that destruction would come and he told them to to flee and hopefully not on the Sabbath and there'd be great destruction in a time of trouble. And Jerusalem was consequently destroyed by the Roman armies and it was the end of the Jewish people as his special chosen. So God always sends a warning and the angels of Revelation 14 are warning And their warning is that it won't be water, but fire next time. Their warning is that he is coming again. And John says, as we unravel verse 6, I saw this another, another, this other angel flying in the midst of heaven. He saw this warning being spread rapidly. The angel wasn't walking or strolling or even running, the angel was flying. 
John is telling us that this message God is sending before he comes must be taken with a sense of urgency. When a house is on fire, you don't go and say, knock, knock. Excuse me, sir, but I think it might be well if you consider an immediate evacuation because combustion has somehow occurred in your back room and it, it might be, no, no, no. When we know trouble has come and is imminent and destruction is there, we are urgent and God says that his people, this angel who represents this message and the people who are taking it should go out urgently. There is a message of, of immediacy. And John said he saw the angel flying in the midst of heaven. So not only did he see another angel flying, he saw him flying all over the world in the midst of heaven, indicating that it's a universal message that this angel is carrying. And what is he doing with this message? He is preaching, the verse continues, having the everlasting gospel to preach. Now, the word gospel is translated as good news from the original. Good news, that's what the gospel means, the word gospel. And what John is saying is, he saw this angel flying with good news. And what is that good news that the angel has? The good news that the angel has is that God is love. God has sent the angel to warn the world, this first angel, to warn the world that he has good news for humanity. The good news, brothers and sisters, is that trouble won't last always. The good news is that there is a better day coming. The good news is that sickness and death the good news is that mugging and robbery and rape and serial killings and, and drive-bys, the good news is that cancer and aneurysms won't last always. That's the good news. I see some of my friends here from Park Hill in Denver. We had bad news there recently. Young man, 40 years of age, an elder in the church that I've known since he was born. Know, know his parents, know his grandparents, sweet, wonderful people. Young man went out on a church picnic like we had here last Sabbath, last Sunday. Church picnic, as I understand it. Playing basketball, tore his ligaments in his knee, had an operation, put a cast on, huge blood clot developed, gone. Life taken. Fine, genuine, cultured, intelligent, educated elder of the church. But there's good news. A better day is coming. I called his mother, my wife and I called his mother and prayed with her the other day. 
And we reminded her of what I'm trying to remind us of today and of what the angel is saying, and that is that God's not going to let this world go on like this forever. He's got a plan. There is good news. There's going to come a day when you don't have to drive over to the right because an ambulance is screaming down the highway. There's a day that's coming when there's not going to be any, any funeral homes and crematoriums. And a day when God, because his son has come and died for the human race, a day when he's going to restore the first domain and he's going to make the world just like it was before Adam and Eve sinned. And that's good news. Ain't that good news, the song says. John says he saw the angel preaching this good news and he said it was everlasting gospel he was preaching or everlasting good news, which means that this good news didn't just start with the angel. This good news of a better day of salvation through Jesus Christ has been here always. Everlasting means always was and always will be. And the good news of what Jesus has done for planet earth started according to revelation at the foundation of the world revelation 3 8 but i like first peter 1 20 that's even better first peter 1 20 says this plan was here before the worlds were made even before god made human beings he had a plan of escape in case man fell he had a rescue plan in order. And that's good news. It's not an afterthought. It's always been here. It was here as long as this earth has been here and before. And more than that, it will always be here. When John 14, 6 says the angel was preaching the everlasting gospel, it's telling us that it will not only be the good news from before the foundation, but even when God makes the world new and we are free from sin and death, we will still forever be rejoicing in the good news of salvation. And Ellen White says that heaven is a school, a school in which we will study forever the plan of salvation and forever we will be delving into and digging into and getting more and more insights into the love that made Jesus leave his throne in heaven and come down and die with us sinners on this earth. It's good news that will last for eternity. We'll never get tired of singing his praises. We'll never tire. And as the song says that we sang a little earlier in our period after Sabbath school, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll still want to sing as when we first begun. That's the good news that the angel is preaching. The Bible goes on to read in verse 6, that I saw this angel flying in the midst of heaven with the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Now, of course, what's indicated here in the last part of verse 6 is that God isn't going to miss anybody. You can't get more complete than that, can you? Every nation? That's United States or Russia or China or whoever. Every nation... And then it says every tribe, that means every ethnic group in the place. Yeah. 
You talk about Hispanic Americans, African Americans, and Asian Americans, whatever, every, every, every tribe, every clan, every ethnicity possible, and to make sure that nobody's left out. He goes on to say every tongue. There's some places in America where they speak a hodgepodge. Some folk have come over from Africa and the islands and other countries, and they talk something called patois. Is that what it is? Something like that? Is that right? There's a man from Jamaica. He knows. Patois and some other little dialects. Is that right, Adrian? Something like that. All right. Every dialect, not only every nationality, not only every ethnicity, but every dialect and every people. So that it means that if you're not identified in any other way, if you're a living human being, this angel is preaching to you today. And the United Nations says that there are about 275 identified nations in the world, the UN says. And the angel has got to preach to all those nations. And so far, according to our church statisticians, this gospel has been preached in all but 10 or 11 of those 275 identifiable nations in the world. All but about 10 or 11. Albania, North Korea, and a few other places where the gospel of the second coming of Jesus and the judgment has not penetrated as yet. And they're trying to get there. And when they finally get to all these nations, some of which because the state or the country is not only the political body, but also the religious body. Let me tell you, when you have a nation where politics and religion are the same, you've got a hard place to spread the gospel. Do you know there are some countries in the world where if you even go to a Christian church, you are ostracized from your family? You are killed? There are some countries in the world where Jesus cannot be mentioned. Except that the danger and the risk of losing your life for talking about him or for receiving him. But my Bible says... In Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. Which means that it's going to be preached everywhere. As a witness to all nations. Doesn't say everybody's going to believe it. But it will be preached as a witness. And then what shall happen? Then shall the end come. And that's why we tithe. And that's why we give our offerings. We tithe not to support any particular preacher or group of preachers. We all tithe. We, I tithe. Pastor Haynes, Pastor Lewis, we all tithe. And that tithe goes to the offices of the conferences where they then dispense it to send missionaries and teachers and doctors and dentists and nurses all around the world because this is all a part of what the angels are doing in order to get the message everywhere to warn the world of the coming king. And when it has all been accomplished, the word of God says, then shall the end come. 
So if you want the end to come and you want to be ready, be faithful, brothers and sisters. Let's be faithful in our giving and in our sacrificing as we've done even today. But then look at verse 7. That's not all about this angel that I want you to note. In verse 7, which is the second half of the angel's description, John says, he saw this angel who was preaching to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, saying with what kind of voice, everybody? Now there again is a sense of urgency. The angel is saying with a loud voice, you and I are to be proclaiming boldly. We should be bold about what we believe and boldly proclaim his name. And what does that angel say with a loud voice? Four things are given in verse 7 that the angel says. First of all, he says with a loud voice, do what for God? You know what that means? That means the angel is saying in this message that he's preaching to all these countries all around the world, this people God is using to spread the message. One of the things that the message encompasses is fear of God. And fear means respect. Solomon says, fear God and the king. Respect for God. Respect and awe for God. You and I live in a time when people have lost respect. Not only for God, but for each other. I told you sometime before that there's a little saying that says about our schools and the lack of respect in the land that um, the, the school boards are afraid of the parents and the parents are afraid of the teachers. The teachers are scared of the children, and the children aren't afraid of anybody. Respect. When children start beating up their parents, cursing their parents, defying their parents, killing their parents, not to mention the misuse of God's name in society, calling God's name in vain. Some people are unable to hold a decent conversation without all the blue language, all the God words they use, using his name in vain because humanity has lost respect for God and his word. I told some of you some time ago, and I mentioned it in prayer meeting the other night, that there was an occasion so one writer records where a man stood up in the back of the church and said, you people with this God, he, he, your God is no good. Said, in fact, I'll give God five minutes to kill me right now. And he stood up in church and he said, started cursing and using God's name in vain and all kind of vile language. And the people were just shaking and shuddering, expecting lightning to come and hit him any moment. Who is this God? You talk about, oh, forget that God. Hey, he went on and on. And he looked at his watch and everybody was breathless for the five minutes. Then he sat down and laughed. He said, you see, nothing happened. There ain't no God. He, he has no power. And the wise old preacher stood up and said, folk, don't be surprised. If God could stand the devil for 6,000 years, you know he could put up with this fool for five minutes. But the fact is that we've lost respect for God, lost respect for his word, and lost respect for each other. 
If you don't believe we've lost respect, just ride down MLK and look at how people are dressed. How some people could put on clothes they put on, they don't respect themselves. You don't put on clothes that reveal yourself in detail. Do you? If you respect yourself, you don't let it all hang out. You got some respect when you step out in public. We ought to have respect, male and female. And when I'm walking around with something up here and something down here and everything else exposed, I'm not respecting myself. And when I put on some pants that are hanging down, how they're held up, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There must be some secret I haven't found as how you can walk around with pants hanging down. Lack of respect, young men. Our world is a world where respect has been buried, but the angels say, respect God. And if we respect God, we'll respect each other. Our men will respect our women. And our women will respect our men. We will respect our ecology. There's nothing respectful about riding down the street in your car with your loud boombox booming, throwing McDonald wrappers and orange peelings out the window. And then want to say the man doesn't treat us right. If you don't respect yourself, you don't deserve respect. And the respect that we have for God will translate itself into respect for one another. But that's not all that this first angel said. There are four things. Number two, the angel said, fear God and give glory to him. And what does it mean to give glory to him? Let me read Ellen White, Christian Service, page 41. To, or rather, manuscript 16, 1890. To give glory to God is to reveal his character in our own and thus make him known in whatever way we make known the Father or Son, we glorify God. To glorify God is to live the Christian life and to let people see Jesus in you. Amen. Glorifying God is not how much noise you make when you go to church. Glorifying God is not how, how loud you pray. Glorifying God is not how loud you sing. Glorifying God is how righteously you live. Glorifying God. And the angel says, fear God. This is what the angel is saying as he flies. Fear God. Give glory to him. And the third thing the angel says in verse 7 is, for the hour of his judgment is come or has come. Now look, this is not the only time we run into this concept of judgment. Last Sabbath we preached about it to some, some detail. But judgment has always been an important concept in the word of God. David talked about a judgment and said, the ungodly shall not stand in the what? 
nor sinners in the congregation of the... You remember that? In the first chapter of Psalms? And then Daniel said, and we read it last week in Daniel chapter 7, he said, when he was told about the 2300 days, he said he saw that the judgment was set and the what? Books were what? Books were open. And Paul, before Felix and Agrippa, reasoned of righteousness and temperance and judgment. Righteousness, means, which means living right. Temperance, which means staying away from what's harmful and properly using what is good. You can even misuse a good thing, you know. So Paul preached of righteousness, temperance, and judgment. And Jesus talked about the judgment. And Peter wrote about the judgment. And John wrote about the judgment. But they all talked about a judgment to come. This first angel says, fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment not will come, is come. The verb here is in the present tense. And here is where Daniel and Revelation link up together. As we studied last Sabbath, Daniel 8, 14 to 2300 days took us to the date of 1844. And we learned that that's when God began his investigative judgment in heaven. Now we can't see in the glory to corroborate or to verify what God's doing in heaven. So God did a wonderful thing. Knowing that we can't see what happens in heaven, he decided, as he began his judgment work in heaven, to raise up a judgment-preaching people on the earth. And even before 1844, as early as 1821, and French and in Sweden where children stood up because the state would not present any other gospel God brought little boys and girls who stood up and they stood on orange crates and boxes and they preached the judgment and it was as if it wasn't a planned thing it was as if God had, thank you, had pulled down the handle on the switch box of prophecy. It wasn't that a bunch of people got together and said, you know what, let's, let's all get together and let's scatter out around the world and you go over there and you preach the judgment and you preach it over here and you preach it over there and you preach it over there. It wasn't a planned convention when they all left like a football team, now we're going to run this play. Oh, no. These people didn't even know each other. The man in Germany, the man in South America, the man in England, the people in Sweden, Scandinavia, and William Miller in the United States, who was the proponent, primary proponent, beginning in the 20s on through the 40s of the judgment, didn't know each other. 
but God sent his Holy Spirit here and there and everywhere. And all of a sudden, as God was beginning his judgment in heaven, a people was raised up on earth and they began to preach the hour of his judgment is come. And while that started in the 20s and 30s and it was highlighted in 1844 as we have illustrated and taught, I'm glad that it came to Las Vegas. It came to Las Vegas in June of 1896 in a city called Stillwater. I don't even know if Stillwater still, is Stillwater still a part of Nevada? Maybe it's named something else, but Stillwater, Nevada, June 1, 1876. Then there was a camp meeting. These judgment preaching people came to a place called St. Clair, Nevada. I researched it in 1878. And in the same year, or July of 1830, two years later rather, Ellen White came to Nevada. In July, July 30, pardon me, July 30 of 1878, July 30 of 1878, and spoke to 400 people in Reno. She had accepted the judgment message in 1842. She had been a part of the 1844 awakening, and she came to this state in 1878 and spoke to 400 people who gathered to hear about the judgment in Reno, July 30, 1878. And then later, Las Vegas, which had just been a railroad station, became a little village, and in the year of 1933, the first meeting of commandment-keeping, judgment-preaching people was held in this city. A little later on, in 1967, the message of the judgment was preached in this community, in the community where this church is located. And the few people who live this side of town who were attending the church on the other side came out and in 1967 decided that they would begin a congregation of their own. And thus the light has come and the light has been dawning and somehow, some way, the light has come to you, the light has come to me, and today God is using the power of the Holy Spirit to inspire, inform, and educate you and me so that we can preach and teach the judgment. And when John says, I saw another angel fly, he saw the abundant life, Seventh-day Adventist church, but not us only. He saw all those churches where God's judgment and his second coming is being heralded. But the last thing that this first angel had to say in verse 7, he said, For the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of waters. Now I want you to notice that this word worship means to stand up. It means to do what the Hebrew boys did. 
the Hebrew boy said, we will not worship your image, O Nebuchadnezzar. We will not bow down and worship your image. Throw us in the fire if you want, but we're not going to worship your image. We're going to stand up for God. That's the sense of what the angels are saying. The angel is saying. The angel is saying, fear God, give him respect, glorify him, live the right kind of life, eat right, dress right, do what you're supposed to do, and stand up for him, make a clear choice between Christ and the world. It's what Daniel and the Hebrew boys did. They refused to worship the image. They refused to eat the king's food. They refused to bow down. They refused to give in. And what God is looking for as a result of the first angel's work is people who are surrounded with all the filth of this society in sin city and yet not willing to bow down. I was on this cruise two weeks ago, two weekends ago. And I'd wake up from my cabin and look out every morning, early in the morning, and see nothing but water. Couldn't even see land much of the time. Nothing but water. And my thought was, thank God the ship is in the water, but the water is not in the ship. And you and I live in this wicked world, and we can't help it. We're in this world, but the world should not be in us. Got it? We're in the world, but the world is not in us. We're not living by the standards of this world. We're not living by its principles. We're surrounded with all this cursing and swearing and shacking up and drinking and smoking and gambling and adultery and fussing and fighting. The world is upon us and around us, but it's not in us. Amen. That's what worship God means. Means young people, you're not going to bow down. It means we're not going to bow down, cave in, roll over, turn back, give up, fall out, buckle under, or run off. Amen. It means if I have to eat beans and rice, I will not work on the Sabbath. Amen. That's what it means. It means I'm not going to work on the Sabbath. You can you can put you you can turn my lights off. I'll I'll I'll, I'll wear the same old dress every day. Same old suit, but I'm not going to work on God's holy day. I will not bow down. I will worship him. Amen. Stand up. It means you can call me funny and odd, young people, but I'm not going to have premarital sex. Amen. Call me, call me different. Call me a dud, whatever the going expression is. But I'm not going to have premarital sex. And if you keep trying to hit on me to have it, I'm not even going to talk to you anymore. Amen. Amen. In fact, what you ought to do is come to church with me and get your mind straightened out. Amen. And start reading and studying the Word of God. It means that I'll live alone. I'll be a lonely one, if that has to be. I'll eat my breakfast and dinner by myself. I'll have to fix my own car. I'll have to cut my own grass. But I'm not going to have any man moving with me unless he's married. Amen. That's what it means. 
worship God means to stand. Jesus stood. At age 12, he saw that he was the lamb when he went to the temple and he saw the priest take the knife and the Paschal Sabbath and prepare to kill that lamb. Jesus saw himself on the cross and at age 12, he realized that his life would end upon Calvary. He realized that he was born to die. He realized that he was going to be that sacrificial lamb. And when the children tried to make him do wrong, he refused. And when he went to the wilderness and the devil hit him with those three temptations, he refused. And when the people tried to trap him and trick him, he refused. And in Gethsemane, when the devil tried to discourage him, he refused. And on the cross, when they made fun of him and it would have been so easy by a thought to destroy his enemies, he refused. He stood up. Jesus was the, is the premier example of what it means to worship the Father and to be strong. But let me tell you finally, you can't do that unless you read and study the Word of God. There's no need, and I'm going to make my appeal now, but there's no need in you saying, hey, preacher, I'll stand up. I will stand. I promise I'm going to stand. No need to say that unless you go home and read and study this book. Amen. The Amen. Bible is what gives you a clear mind. The Bible is what gives you discipline. The Bible is what gives you power to do what's right. You cannot worship God, fear God, give glory to God unless you're thick with the Word. you got to get up in the morning before everybody else gets up and study the Word. Turn that tube off. Don't sit there half the night sleepy and restless in the morning. Turn it off and go to bed and get up in the morning and read the Word. And if you and I will do that, we'll have strength. Yes, we will. Amen. Yes. Amen. We'll be able to stand. Amen. We'll be able to worship and fear and give glory to God. And people will see our lives and we'll be bringing others to church and we'll be influencing others in the right direction. You who are already members, you heard me say it before and I'm going to keep pounding at it. It's the word every day, the word, study, prayer, witness. And I want to ask you before I ask the second question, if that's your desire, if you want to be strengthened to stand in Sin City, my, 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 the city that's known all over the world to be a sinful, the most sinful place. I'm not sure about that. I think a lot of places just as sinful and worse. But it's sinful enough. And you want to say yes for the rock. By the grace of God, I want to be in the water, and I don't want the water to come in me. Would you raise your hand? Is that your desire? You want to pray like that? I want, I know I gotta be here, but I don't want it in on me. Alright. Number two, thank you. If you're not already a member of the church, if you're bound in sin, or even if you're a Christian, but you would like to belong to a church.
church like this that's preaching the straight gospel and getting ready for the second coming of Christ and that loves Jesus and wants to be ready to greet him when he comes. Would you raise your hand? You're not a member, but you'd like to become one. You want to get the studies. God bless you, my dear. Come on, and Sister Pauline, hold your hand up high. Hold your hand up high. See that these hands are fed. Where else? See that these hands, gentlemen in the back. Charles, you see the gentleman there? All right, every hand is fed with a paper and a pencil. Another hand here. All right, good. We like to see that. And while you're filling out your paper, and while we're promising God we're going to stand, come on, Wailena, I want you to sing for me. And as we dismiss, I want us all to listen, be blessed, and resolve that we will worship and stand. Happy Sabbath, church. When you've done all you can and seems like it's never enough Tell me, what do you say when your friends turn away and you're all alone? Tell me, what do you give when you've given your all and it seems like you can't make it through? Well, you just stand when there's nothing left to do you just stand watch the lord see you through yes after you've done all you can you just stand tell me how do you handle the guilt of your past tell me how do you deal with the shame oh how can you smile when your heart has been broken and filled with pain filled with pain tell me what do you give when you've given your all and Seems like you can't make it through Child, you just stand When there's nothing left to do You just stand Watch the Lord see you through Yes, after you've done all you can You just stand and be sure be not entangled in that bondage again you just stand and endure yes god has a purpose yes god has a plan tell me 
When you've given your all and it seems like you can't make it through, well, you just stand. You just stay, stay. Don't you dare give up. Stand through the storm. Stand through the rain. Stand through the hurt. Oh, stand through the pain. Don't you bow. No, don't you bow. You've done all you can. Yes, after you've done all you can. After you've gone through the hurt. Yes, after you've gone through the pain. After you've gone through the storm. Hallelujah. Yes, after you've gone through the rain, prayed and cried, prayed and cried, yeah, after you've gone all you can, you just Stay. Oh. Amen. Amen, church. Before we pray, two words. One, the entire church is invited to lunch today. There is lunch provided. All our guests, all members, let's fellowship there together. The other thing is, you who fill out the slips, would you raise your hand if the ushers haven't picked them up already? Did, did you fill out your slip? Do you have all the slips, Bobby? Any other slips out there? Raise your hand if you filled out a slip or you didn't get one. If you didn't get one, all right. And, uh, Next thing I want to say is, Abundant Life, I love you. I love you. I've always loved you, but I really love you now. <laughs> I love you, love you, love you, love you. $47,915.50. There'll be more. Some haven't reported as yet, but it'll probably be over 50, and thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you for their sacrifice. Now may the dedication be warm and firm in our hearts. Help us to stand. When we leave this building, young and old, to stand. And when we've done all to stand, as we read in the scripture, to stand. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we all be seated? <laughs> 